Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Lion is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. We now have a Patreon for fans of our show to help keep this going. Subscribers will become a part of the show in various ways, from providing questions to our guests, to getting a shout out on the show, to actually being on the show to chat with us. We'll even send you a mug. So check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash talking lion. We recorded this episode with David Archuleta. We recorded this remotely via Skype following the release of his single, Just Breathe, off his album, Therapy Sessions. With a voice that made him a household name and a literal American idol, David Archuleta continues to inspire people with the vulnerability of his songs and his journey as an independent artist. So without further ado, I'm David Archuleta and this is Talking Lion. Well, hey. Hey. It's nice to nice to meet you. Well, thank you. It's, it's good to good to meet y'all as well. <laughs> How are you doing? Where, where are you right now? I'm home in I, I live in Tennessee, Nashville. So nice. I've just been here. Have you guys been okay with? Uh, I know, like before the quarantine happened, there was a tornado. Have you been all right with all that? Yeah. You know that was. It, it was kind of. It was crazy because it was hit, hit, like tornado, then COVID-19. So it was a pretty interesting March. But yeah, I was okay. I wasn't in the path. Some of my friends were. I went to go help clean up some. But it was just, it was just nuts because it went right through like the center of Nashville. It was wild seeing photos of it, just like just very familiar places, just absolutely decimated by it. Yeah. It was, it was pretty nuts, but you know, I, I guess, you know, we just kept moving and then COVID-19 happened and then everything started shutting down. We can't get a break this year. Honestly, I feel, I I was talking to so many people who were like, this is the year that we're going to like change things. Like this is the year that we're going to like, you know, break habits and like travel more and do more (laughs) things. And then everybody's stuck inside, you know? (laughs) I know. Have you been all right? Like through the quarantine, like how, how have you kind of kept your mental in check throughout all this? Oh, when I lose my mind, I, <laughs> I, sorry, that's a, a song. I go places nobody can find. Like, it's kind of funny because really, like, I wrote a song about Wait. when I lose my mind. I, I go places, <laughs> I try to just se- separate myself from everything to calm myself down. Mm-hmm. So this actually has been like the most time I've gone without feeling like peaks of anxiety because I I'm a pretty anxious person in general and being in isolation and like being alone at my house at first I thought I was going to be really lonely I was like oh my gosh like I'm gonna (laughs) you know I'm gonna get like real depressed because I'm not gonna be doing anything being around anybody because all my family lives in Utah I'm not around my family and it's actually been like super rejuvenating you know even though my tour got postponed like everyone else's tours that was going on the road right it's been super needed I didn't realize how much I was going to need it I I mean yeah I had to change 
what I was doing for work, but luckily I can still work online. I've been doing a lot of performances like on Instagram or Zoom, Skype, you know, interviews and songwriting. So it's, I, okay, I, th- I haven't done a lot of songwriting. I've I've done that a few times. No, we we haven't done a ton. Of, it's hard. I feel like the Zoom. I was talking to a friend of mine about this morning. Actually, I feel like like video chat writing is really hard because so much of like a songwriting session is what you can feel in the room and also sort of like what's happening like in front of you, and because all there is really to talk about is the quarantine, and it's already sort of an exhausting process trying to get the vibe in the room going. That's even harder when you have to like take lag into account and this sort of like you're there but you're not there right. experience of a video t- chatting. But to the other thing that you were saying, I, you know, I've been surprised by how because I'm, I'm we're, we're both really anxious people, and I've been surprised by how sort of peaceful or how many pockets of peace I've been able to find in like all of this stuff. Yeah, there's there's not much to, you know other than the obvious things, there's not much to be anxious about when your when your life just becomes this insulated routine of like you're just at home cooking, cleaning, <laughs> like making music. Right. Plus I'm sure there are anxieties about, you know, about tour like how are ticket sales, like, you know, what's the plan, what's like like how's everything sort of going down and all of a sudden one less thing to worry about just for just for now. Yeah, you know? it was that's kind of how I looked at it and I don't I look forward to when I can get back around to getting to do the shows because I was going to do a bunch of new stuff that I'll be having come out soon. And so it was, it was like, I was looking forward to seeing what people, how people reacted, like what songs mm-hmm. people connected to and all that. And so I felt like, oh, sh- dang. But then when it got postponed, it was kind of like, oh, like I can breathe. Like, <laughs> I'm so used to being like, what do I need to do now? What? How can I stay on the go now? It's like, just chill, David. Just relax. Take some. Take a moment. And it's been really nice. No, but yeah, I feel that. Like, I, I think obviously we love performing live, and I know I. It, it's hard to find an artist who doesn't love performing live. But with that said, I think artists are oftentimes the most comfortable, either exactly on stage, and, and not so much the sort of preamble up to it, or going back and being able to create. And I think that it's been nice to actually be able to go back and like focus on some of our songs that because we were, you know, traveling or doing sessions or or focusing on shows, we hadn't been able to give it the time it deserved, you know? Mm -hmm. Are you from Utah? Yeah, I grew up in Utah. What was, what was that like? Like in your family, was there a lot of music going around? Like when did you first discover that like you had this insanely fantastic voice (laughs) you know to put it to put it you know casually oh well I didn't I mean growing up I didn't think of like oh wow I can sing it's just it was like wow I love to sing so I never liked the sound of my voice growing up and I didn't think I was I'd never really thought I was good at singing I just liked to do it but I loved to sing when I was alone so how I got into singing, when my parents were both musical, my dad, he was into jazz music, playing the trumpet, and he also was really into musicals. Oh, we're recovering theater kids, so I'm with you there. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And my mom was a singer as well. So when we were moving to Utah from Florida, because I was born in Miami and lived there for mm. a little bit, but when we moved to Utah, 
into our new home, my dad, to keep us busy, he put in a tape of Les Miserables. Mm -hmm. It was the 10th anniversary, like PBS special. And so I don't know what happened. I just got hooked. I didn't didn't (laughs) even understand the storyline. I just loved the music. I would even pretend that I was in the cast because on the 10th anniversary, the whole cast and ensemble sits on stage and then goes up to the microphone when it's their turn and they go back and sit down. Oh, wow. So I would pretend I had my seat and I would get up when it was my turn. And I liked the faster songs. Uh, Oh, my favorite one was At the End of the Day. I don't remember the words, to to be honest, but I... I always loved uh, Empty Chairs and Empty Tables. Okay. My friends, my friends, don't ask me. Yeah. You know, I didn't appreciate that song until I was older. Mm. The, the, yeah. Here, here's what's funny. The slow songs I wasn't as into when I was little. I would fast forward them. But now, like, for example, Bring Him Home. I used to, Oh, mm, so good. That's my favorite song from it now. But I used to fast forward through that part when I was six or seven years old when I was watching it. So <laughs> I just didn't appreciate well, also it. Also, be, like being older and like understanding how, how voices and singers work, the fact that you had Jean Valjean, who was essentially like a bass throughout the entirety of the show, all of a sudden like hitting a falsetto is, is really cool to hear too. Yeah. You know? Like, like I said, we're recovering theater. We could, go, we could pull this. Pull we can this do a whole for, episode for a second. Did you Did you do theater in school though? Were you in the like drama club and stuff? I wasn't. I've never been. I love music from the f- musicals. I just never was in them. So, I've I'm not opposed to it though. I've I've had people have asked me to audition for musicals. I so I have. Like now, now that I've mm. been in my career, I got invited to audition for Les Miserables, the Broadway. Oh, wow. But I was gone. I was on my music hiatus for, for, for being a missionary for two years. So I wasn't able mm. to, which I was like, oh, dang, that would have been really cool. But when I got back from my hiatus, I auditioned for a couple and I just, I don't, I don't have acting chops. I get really self-conscious. <laughs> Like memorize the lines. If they're not to music, don't flow out of me. Like I need. I I I feel the same way. (laughs) How old were you when you were on American Idol? So I was sixteen and seventeen by the time it finished. Wow. I you know that's the thing is like I don't know. I I I was I I remember watching that season um, with my family, and I remember voting. I remember like. You know, I, I was uh, I, I was rooting for you, um, but Thank I you. I I don't know. You know, you see somebody on TV and you just assume that they're just like, you know. I mean, when you're when you're a kid, anybody older than you is just older. You know, like anybody that's older than you is just like. It's like when you find out your babysitter is really like five years older than you, and you're like, wait, what? I thought you were thirty. You know, like right. Um, but that, that's the thing is like you. Looking back, I mean, it's it's you, you carry yourself, I think, really really well on the show. Um, what was that experience like, especially being like so so young on it? It was, I mean, it was pretty crazy. There was so much going on. Like you think you go on and that you're just going to learn a song each week and then sing it, but there's just so much more going on aside from that that gets pretty overwhelming. Like just interviews you have to be at events and you have to be meeting with all these people and getting interviewed all the time getting filmed all the time and kind of being put on hold like 
you always need to be on call for whatever they need you to do at any moment. And so I, it was just a new experience for me that I wasn't, I, I think especially for being, I just didn't love attention. I still don't love attention. So to be suddenly on a show that millions of people are watching and suddenly millions of people are engaged in your life and your performances and what your personality is like, it's just kind of like, how am I supposed to act now? Like, I just was so self-conscious. What's so interesting about American Idol at that time is that like, you know, now there's so much content out there. Now there's like a million different fandoms, but American Idol, like around the time of, of your season was like, you instantly became like a household name. Like you, you know, you are like a household name. Like that is just kind of how that system at the time like worked. Was that like bizarre? Like, you know, was it, was it like suddenly, you know, you try to like get groceries or whatever? And were, I mean, were you still in co- like high school or college around the time too? Yeah, I was in my junior year of high school. So wow. it was, I still had school Monday through Friday on top of everything else, which actually like it was one more thing to worry about. But at the same time, I guess just being very shy and, and pretty introverted it was my time alone because I was the only person in top 10 that was a minor that had to do high school. Did you have like the on-set teachers too? Yeah, I had a studio teacher. My, my, my mom and my, my uh, grandmother do that, like oh. the studio teaching stuff for uh, AGT every once in a while. Nice. So you had like the studio teacher time and yeah, all that? Yeah, I had Wendy. Wendy is so cool. She was, <laughs> she was like my saving grace so many times because when everyone was like wanting something from me and asking me to do more stuff, you know, she did her job. She just, she's like, you know what? He can't be asked. He's in school. He needs, legally, he needs to get this stuff done. So it was kind of my, it was like my bubble away from everybody, you know, cause no cameras, no interviews. She's like an anxiety shield. Yeah. It was, it was just my time where I could be alone. And well, I mean, with Wendy, but still like, it was just me and Wendy and Wendy was super chill, no pressure. And I just, I just, <laughs> I loved it. We had a lot of good talks about life and it was just where I could get <laughs> my mind away from the competition in American Idol. And I mean, I, I still was stressing out a lot of times cause we had a lot of deadlines of like sending in our arrangements and picking the songs and interviews and stuff that I'd have to leave every now and then for, but it was nice. She would help me go through my fan mail, which was a new thing for me. Like, oh wow, there's just, I mean, now, now I don't get as much just because people just DM you now. They'll DM <laughs> yeah, me a yeah. now, now you just have your your uh, Instagram requests and you you <laughs> right. uh, go through. Yeah, but back then it was still mainly fan fan handwritten letters, and I, it was just cool. Like she put up. Cause I loved like keeping track of where people were coming from. So she bought me a map and like hung it on the wall. And she's like, so I know you like keeping track of where your letters are from. <laughs> so I bought this map and we can pin where the letters come from. So I remember I got all, when we got all 50 States and then 
we got, we started putting like the countries and stuff because back then it was still kind of, it was fascinating to me because we didn't, social media, I mean, MySpace was a thing, but it was more like your friends from high school and like, right. it wasn't a global thing. Like it, it wasn't is, what it is now. Yeah, yeah. Like now it's just like, you like Ariana Grande or you like uh, Avengers movies. Like I'm from Tennessee, you're from Germany and you're from India. Like it's so easy to connect to people now, but back then it was just like, whoa. People are writing me from Germany and the Philippines mm. or Vietnam. Like, this is crazy. It just, I, I guess it's when I realized, wow, this is like, a, this is really a life-changing experience, this whole American Idol thing. And people are watching everywhere and l- reading their stories. It was just super cool. And it got to a point where I was, because the show was so big, there was just a point where I couldn't keep up with the letters anymore. I missed one day. Would you write back? Would you write back to? I tried. I tried writing back yeah. to people. I got, there was one girl I saw who just sent like a D, like on her Insta story. She, you know, cause people can just tag you. So you, you can't, right. you can't keep track of everything always, but some, there are times where. Well, you'd go crazy if you did. There's yeah. so much stuff. Like I know. And you can get a little obsessed. About, you, know? you get, it's so easy to become obsessed with what other people think of you. Cause it's just there. It's like, mm-hmm. what are they saying? Who's tagged me today? You know, what, what covers of people that, you know, some, some it's can be yeah. really cool, but sometimes I get a little too caught up. But, um, one girl, she had, she tagged me in a letter that I, I wrote back to her during American Idol. And she, I guess she said <laughs> she loved my performance and I was like apologizing. I was like, I, sorry, I didn't have my best week. I forgot the words and things. So, <laughs> so it was just kind of funny to see. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And she still has the letter 12 years later. It's crazy. What well, I think what American Idol did so well to the point of like being revolutionary. And I think we take it for granted now because it's sort of the formatting of every singing competition show that's out now. But at the time, American Idol was doing something different from anything else, which was they were actually focusing on like the person and the journey in a way that actually made you feel very connected to them. I remember like as, you know, an 11-year-old, 12-year-old watching with my family, like feeling like I knew, you know, the Davids or feeling like I knew like, you know, uh, Catherine McPhee or whatever, like knowing those people because they were in, you know, in your house and having this sort of like um, conversation. But also like our really good friend out here, and actually the first person we ever had on Talking Lion, she goes by Zealand now, but uh, her name's Angie Miller. And she, I think came in third of her season of American Idol. Hmm. And I remember just, uh, you know, the way that she spoke about it, that you know, on the plus side, you suddenly have this new connection with America, essentially. On the other side, they only know this presented thing. They only know what is presented. And when the show's over, there there isn't necessarily a way of sort of getting back to like reality or getting like getting back to like like everything. When the show ended, what was it sort of like to, to sort of re-enter the the world? And did you sign to a major like immediately after that, or was there some time between the show and the deal? There was no time. And, you know, <laughs> life completely changed because that season, like, they'd show us the ratings and it'd be, like, over 30 million people watching each week, which was wow. just so hard to fathom then. I was just like, what? Like, 30 million? Like, how many people is that? It's, like, bigger than... <laughs> it's, like, 15 times the size of the state I live in, in Utah. I was just like, what? So it was just <laughs> mind-blowing. People, like, we didn't go shopping without security at during that time like oh wow they they really kept an eye on us and 
paparazzi was a new thing we had to deal with. And it was just weird because like American Idol, it's not like you're becoming like this like cool, hip person. It's just like you said, you like you like to sing and they talk about who you are as a person. So you don't think of yourself as different. And they keep you in, they kept us in such a bubble back then. Mm. Keep an eye on what was going on. If people, like back then, they would put the performances on YouTube and it would be up for like a few hours and they'd take it down because they didn't want anything up on YouTube. They wanted people just watching on TV. So we, it's not like we really knew how people were reacting. At least I didn't. And (laughs) so then all of a sudden, like when we would leave to like go by our, outfit or to go to make an appearance, that's when we would suddenly see people's reactions when they see us on the streets and getting excited and crowding us. And it was just like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? And <laughs> and then when the show ended, you know, then, then the night of the finale, like it was over, like David Cook had won our season. And I was just in my dressing room eating a slice of pizza that Wendy, my studio teacher, got for me because I didn't have any <laughs> cheese the whole time to take care of my voice. And I love pizza. <laughs> so she, it was super nice. Wendy's the bomb. Do you still keep in touch with her? You know, not that often, but every now and then. Like she's come to some of my shows and <laughs> I love Wendy. I, I really do. I don't keep that close in touch with her, but I still love Wendy. And so <laughs> she had that. Hey, well, maybe she's maybe she's listening. Maybe. Yeah. Wendy. (laughs) Hi, Wendy. So she had the piece of pizza saved for me in the dressing room and I was eating that. And then all of a sudden, like, it was just a moment of stillness during amidst all the craziness because they had all these like guests at our finale as well. Like Jonas Brothers, One Republic, Seal, Brian Adams, George Michael, all kinds of people there. And when I was just quietly in my dressing room, all of a sudden, all these people start walking in. And I was like, who's walking in my room? And it was the head of 19 Entertainment, Simon Fuller, not Simon Cowell. And then all these record label people. And then Simon just starts talking. He's like, hey, so, hey, David, so great, great night. Um, uh, We're really looking forward to... Uh, working with you. You're going to be working with Sony now. These are all of your record label people that you're going to be working with. And I was just like, I was kind of sitting there with my slice of pizza. And I was just like, I didn't really process what was going on. They could just onboard you onto a contract like at that time? Yeah. So in order to be on the show, we had to sign uh, for the live performances. We had to sign a contract if we wanted to be in the top 24. And so like, you know, you're signing a bunch of stuff and agreeing to a lot of things that you don't understand. But at that point I was kind of like, well, it's not like it's going to really do anything anyway. Cause it was top 24. I didn't think I was going to get that far. I didn't think they would really want to sign me to record label and all that, but it just said, (laughs) we have the, the option to take you on and activate this contract in the future. So that was like five months prior you know, so I'd forgotten Which about is, that. What's funny is like now, now I feel like, uh, and we were talking to a friend of ours who was like on Songland. Like now, there's been so much scrutiny about like um, aggressive television show contracts that now, like there, you know, there's a lot, like some some more leniency about mm. like what you can onboard and what you can add and everything like that. But you know, at, at that time, it's like oh, here yeah, you it's are. Free social media. Like, there was no, there's yeah, what, fewer ways to talk about there it. There was, or, or there were no it. ways. You couldn't be as open and. Whoever was in charge of you had a lot of the say of what you were going to say 
<laughs> so, I mean, it was fine. Like at that point, everything was going beyond what I had ever imagined myself of accomplishing. You know, I always thought, you know, that's the goal is to be a professional recording artist as a singer. And all of a sudden it was just happening and I didn't really seek it out. That's, that was the craziest thing about American Idol. I wasn't seeking it. I was still planning on finishing high school, doing some college, going on to be a missionary for a couple of years for my church, then come back, finish college. And then at that point I figured, okay, then I'll have, I'll have an idea of what I want to do with myself and like <laughs> see what music options there are. I wasn't expecting to be in a junior year of high school. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, that's not what I was like craving. I wasn't craving this career, but you know, I went to audition for American Idol to see what it would be like, what I would learn from it. And all of a sudden I'm at the finale and then the, the finale is done and all these record label people for Sony and Jive Records are in my room congratulating me to be on their team now. So then I was signed to Sony and then we started having meetings and they flew us to New York where they were headquartered and flying from New York to LA. And then we were getting ready for the American Idol tour, which was an arena tour. So the, oh, right. is, so the first tour I'd ever been on was in arenas and it was just... It was just crazy. It was just like everything was happening too fast. It was, it was so fast. It's just like so many people. And like, that's when it really. Yeah, whip, you have whiplash, just like whiplash that, and all yeah, that. That's what it felt like was whiplash. Cause it was just like, I never had a moment to actually slow down and think about what was going on. And then I, I while I was on tour, I was recording my rec, my record. I remember in the first meeting, like they're talking about, I was with, a uh, guy with 19. So I was signed to Sony slash 19 entertainment, like 19 rec and Sony rec label. And so I was right. meeting with my 19 guy, Ian, Ian P- Peary. I was there with my dad because I was still a minor. He had to still be with me. And he was like, so have you had any songs come in yet? And Ian was like, yeah, would you like to hear one? We're like, sure. So <laughs> we went and he played one and it was Crush. So he played Crush wow. and I was just like, Whoa. Who, who wrote Crush? So Crush was written by um, David Hodges, E-Man, and Jess Cates. And wow. I, David okay. Hodges, I was a fan of because he was part of this group that I really liked. Trading Yesterday, I think it was called. And mm. so I'd listened to it in, my, in high school. And so I was like, I, re- I know David Hodges. And so when I met <laughs> him, I'm like, I know your music. And he was just like, what? It's like, that's crazy. <laughs> but... Um, He's an amazing writer. He he wrote Because of You, Kelly Clarkson, and All right. a lot of other songs. I just can't think of. Well, what's, what's crazy about Crush is that not only was it a hit, like capital H, you know, hands down hit, but it also, in a lot of ways, kind of inspired the, the cultural viewing of American Idol, which is like, if you don't win, you could also like, like you're more, you're almost more likely to get a hit. Like you, you were kind of this, like, you know, the, the second place hit, like the, the person who kind of came up on top after the, the show, you know, because I mean, that song had still is like kind of part of this like cultural zeitgeist of like what we listened to, what I think it was like 2008, like yeah. back. 2000. Yeah. I mean, that, that was a huge song when it, when it, when it came, what was that kind of like kind of navigating um, and was was it weird? I mean, it, were you writing songs at the time too? Was it weird to be like pitched songs as somebody who who wrote? Yeah, I mean, I didn't do a lot of writing at the time. 
And when I showed the record label, you know, Crush was my intro into pop. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't really a pop singer. I was more ballads. I was a ballad kind of guy, ballads and soul music. Well, you played a lot of that on the show, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. Like, I was known for doing songs like Imagine, When You Believe. Right. Uh, just stuff like that. And then there was one week I tried to do, we had to get our songs approved, and I had like seven songs. It was a week where we could choose whatever we wanted. And like the seven first songs that I chose to sing all got rejected, like denied. Like I wasn't allowed to sing them. So I was like, okay, great. What, am, what wow. do I sing now? So then they were just like, one of the ladies was like, hey, how about this song with you by Chris Brown? So I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, what else? I had a deadline like in a couple of hours. Wow. And they had already rejected the seven songs that I chose. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just sing with you by Chris Brown. So that was like the first pop song that I performed. And it wasn't even my style, but that's what the record label went with. They're just like, we, we see you doing this. Chris Brown. When they sent Crush, though, it was like, whoa, actually, I I could do this. Because I was nervous. I was like, I don't know what I... I showed them my songs that I had written, and they had always said, this is too, this is mature. This is too mature for you. <laughs> I was like, well, that's what comes out that's of ironic. me. I'm like, that's what comes yeah. out of me. They're like, well, you're 17, so you need, a, you need to sing uh, 17-year-old stuff. I was like, okay. So I sang 17-year-old stuff. And I had two songs that I had co-written on that first album, but that was it. They, the label didn't want to use anything else that I had written. Was that on the self-titled? Yeah. Got you. Yeah, I co-wrote A Little Too Not Over You and a song called Don't Let Go. Crush, almost remember, like, it went to radio, right? Like, oh, yeah. It, it did the radio thing. What, what was it? Yeah. Do you remember the first time you heard yourself on the radio? Yeah. I mean, I was there when they premiered it onto radio. So they flew me out to New York City to their pop station, Z100. Z100 debuted Crush. And so they had me in the studio. Oh my gosh. It was just, it was pretty exhilarating. I'm a New Yorker. So Z100 is a big old deal. Like Z100 is like, uh, that was our pop radio. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was, I was freaking out. I was just like, this is not real. This isn't real life right now because like I said, everything happens so fast. I was still on American Idol tour. So they flew me out and then they flew me back to finish doing my shows. And it was just, it was just nuts. It was, and then like, <laughs> I was at a show in Florida, like the week after or two weeks after. And, and one of my fans came up to me and they're like, Hey, David, did you know that your song's number two on the charts? I was like, <laughs> number two on what charts? Cause I was a chart freak. Like, you know, I tell people like other kids were in playing baseball, football, soccer, uh, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons, whatever they're into. And I was into billboard music charts. Like that's what I, I would look like the, the songs that were most successful of the eighties, nineties, every, every year I was, hmm. it was like, that's what I was into. They were my Pokemon cards. They were my, <laughs> they were my, no, it was really, it's, were, I didn't know what the billboard charts was when I got to college, but yeah, no, I, 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 got, like, I got really into it in college. I was in a pop class and I did like a 
like a spreadsheet analysis of a couple different years and got really fascinated by just yeah, yeah. it's a really interesting institution. You it's figured a, it out by like key, like you did. Yeah, the- I, I did. I listened. <laughs> I, I figured out for. I was comparing two years. It was like 2010 to 2005, and I like found the key of every song and like like what was the most popular? Like, wow. like, like are more songs in major or minor? Like shit like that. I would love to be able like to get a machine to like crunch all those numbers. Oh, dude, you've, for like you got multiple a, years. You need to send that to me if you do. Because I, <laughs> I've got it. So I've got it lined up. That is somewhere. so cool. One of like my f- fan moments that I had on American Idol is when Billboard interviewed me, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm really into Billboard books." And the guy was like, "Oh, like which books?" And I, was, I told him, and he was like, "Oh, those are my books. Like I'm the one who put those, <laughs> all those together." I was like, "Oh gosh!" It was Fred Bronson, and I'm still friends with Fred Bronson now. He's a really nice guy, but <laughs> I'm like, great. "You've changed my life." The reason I know my repertoire of music is because of your books. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it was it was super fun. Like that was like other people I don't know were fanning over like the artists that were there, like Maroon Five and whoever else was coming, and I was fanboying over Fred Bronson, Billboard books, whose Billboard (laughs) books changed my life. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Well, it is interesting. I mean, I I feel like I I now you know because. I think the I've become a little more comfortable with like the music thing. Like I don't I don't have like quote unquote like music heroes anymore because I know what this sort of looks like. I, I if I run into like a big like a bigger like music artist, I feel comfortable there. But like a YouTuber that I watched when I was twelve, or like you know somebody who was like really into like uh, like Alan Sepinwall who does Rolling Stones television reviews. Which again, like, is such a specific little thing. If I met Alan Sevenwall, I would not. <laughs> oh man! So I get it. I totally get that. That's cool. You know what's what's weird though is when I got into the business, like charts became kind of. It just became a weird thing for me because I saw how much business is required to make chart uh, most of the charts happen. Like Crush did really yeah. well, but it wouldn't have done well. If they didn't, if the record label didn't put so much money behind it. Well, that was peak payola too. Like that was when like yeah. labels had to put in like millions of dollars to push radio play. Yeah. You still, I mean, even now, like it's not so much radio, it's more like playlists now. Yeah. But even now, yeah. like, especially as an independent artist, I'm like, well, there's not even really a point in seeking out radio because I have to spend so much money if I want a radio song. So I don't know. I guess it would be a risk, but I, I'm not really a risk taker. So, but it's like I don't want to put hundreds <laughs> of thousands of dollars into one song, and then like all my money's gone. You know, I just and it didn't work. I, I, just, I either so don't want to do that, or I want to write a song that I like feel so strongly that I'm like <laughs> take all my money song. <laughs> like you know, those are those are the, the I feel like the two sort of two sort of sides like of the of the because we yeah we've been doing the, the independent thing for like a minute and it's it's weird you know you don't have necessarily the same resources and yet you can in a lot of ways take more more risks just smaller risks you know right yeah. you take you take these individual decisions you take like every decision matters um and there's nobody to fall you know you can't blame the label you can't blame you always you know you've got yourself which is both good good and bad uh, what record did you move towards independent? I went independent after my s- sophomore album. So I did my self-titled one, David Archuleta. Then I had a Christmas album, right, Christmas from the that. Heart. Then I did an album called The Other Side of Down. And after that, I got let go from Sony and Jive. Then I did one album because I was still signed to 19 Entertainment. But at that point... While I was making The Other Side of Down, my sophomore album, 
I was, I'd actually told them that I was like, you know what, I, I want to take a break from this because I really, I really wasn't expecting all of this to happen. And there's still some things that I am passionate about that I want to pursue. And one of those was I wanted to be a missionary. Like that was part of my plan. Like American Idol and getting signed to record right. label to, wasn't part of my plan. What year did you wind up going on the mission trip? I went in 2012. Okay. So where did you go? I went to Chile in South oh, cool. America. So I was there for two years. But before that, like I had tried to go and basically my management at the time and the record label both were like, well, you know, you can't really do that because you've got a contract you need to fulfill. You need to finish this record. So I was like, okay. which is Which is almost ironic because it's like on the one side, you know, like here's a Christmas record. On the other side, like actually, you know, following w- the way that you believe in your religion, uh, where they're like, oh no, don't do that. Like we're, uh, we're cool with Christmas, but don't actually, like- they didn't want me to do a Christmas album either. They thought, oh, interesting. They thought it went in contrary to the image they wanted me to become. Cause they're like, you're already known as being a ballad and a soft kind of soft spoken, sensitive guy, Christmas music. It's not really going to help with the pop image we want for you. And so it was more like, okay, sure. We'll let, we'll let this kind of slide and let you go ahead and do this. And my dad, it was my dad who actually took on that project because my record label, they did half of it. And then my dad did the other half of it because they didn't really. Is he, is he playing on it? No, but he, he, he got a lot of like the, he got the, the producers together. My dad's a really musical guy as well. He knew I loved cr- that kind of music, Christmas music. He loved that kind of music as well. I mean, Christmas, I mean, to this day is where I, I do the best with my touring and shows as well. It's the best area. And it's my favorite. They're my favorite shows to do. <laughs> but it's just interesting that they just didn't really care for it. But I'm really glad that I ended up doing it. But anyway, like then when I wanted to go on this mission trip, they were like, no, you need to finish this album. So I was like, okay, so I did. They saw a lot of potential in me in becoming this pop artist. Like, you know, people were doing really well with, you know, Justin Bieber, Demi Lovato, and, you know, Miley Cyrus, Selena Gomez. We were all part, we were all part of this teenage pop group of people, right. Jonas Brothers. And I just really felt out of place. And I was just like, I don't think, I don't, what is the definition of success? Because, Crush and like that album and American Idol, like they've given me a taste of what success is. I don't know if I'm going to feel like I'm fulfilled if I'm going to keep trying to be whatever's hot, like Chris Brown right. or just the next, you know, first album, they wanted me to be Chris Brown. The second album, they wanted me to be Justin Bieber and follow whatever, chase whatever was hot, which makes sense. It keeps you afloat, keeps your business going. But just as an individual, and with my own personal goals that I had in my life, that was not fulfilling to me. So I was feeling really depressed and feeling really down. So when I got, when I did the album, it didn't do as well as my first album. It was kind of like, I don't know. It was, and then like they, they knew I wanted to go up and take a break from music. So they released me from my contract and then they said, well, hey, we know that your your faith is important to you. How about if you talk to our Christian division of our record label? Mm. And I was like, oh, that's that's cool and stuff. But I was like, you know what? At that point, I was like, I feel like I really want to go and be this, do this 
and be a missionary. I really feel like I want to take a break from music. So I ended up going forward with that. I was still signed to 19. So I met with Ian with my new manager I had at that point. And we just sat in and said, you know what? Hey, we're seeing if we can just clear this contract because the record industry was shifting at that point. Shortly after that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm cont- I'm con- in my head contextualizing it around like, okay, you know, what were the what were the types of options that were there? Like, you know, how was streaming affecting? Like, where was all these things kind of like happening? Right. You know, there was, there was, because there were shifts pretty much around like 2010. Like it, ha- it yeah. happened on that, mm-hmm. almost on the decade. Yeah, Jive Records doesn't even exist anymore. It dissolved shortly after they, they let go of me. And 19 was in the same process. So I think that was part of why they were fine with me wanting to let go of my contract because I'm not sure what happened after that, but basically it dissolved. Ian, I think, had left 19 like right after that happened. And so I went and they're just like, sure, you know what? That's fine. Ian's, he was like, I, I respect that and go ahead and do what you feel you need to do. And so I went on my mission for two years. And then as right before I left, I did a cover album. And that was like, mm. that was like my first venture into independent release. And then when I got back, that was like my first pop album. I don't think I released an album until I released an album while I was on my mission, just to let my fans know like, hey, I'm not just so you know, I haven't like jump shipped for music. This- did you record it while you were on the mission or did you record it before you left? So it was just, it was stuff I had recorded previously that I didn't release. So right. it's just kind of like this mixture of just unreleased stuff. So we kind of planned that out. It was like, how, how can I let my fans know that I'm not just running away and going insane? So we planned to release some of that previous music like midway into my mission. And then when I got back, I would start writing again. So I think I released mm. a song called Numb. I think it was 2015. And then I didn't release an album until 2017 called Postcards in the Sky. And that was like my first real indie release. And it was like super refreshing. Like, you know, I didn't, I wouldn't have had the audience to listen if I didn't have my, well, American Idol, but also Crush from my record when I was signed to record label. I mean, that's still like, that's the song people know me for. If they don't know me just as a contestant on American Idol, they know me for Crush. Or some of my cameos that I had like on Hannah Montana and iCarly. Like those are the reasons, that's what people- I remember you on iCarly. I remember that cameo pretty well, actually. (laughs) That was fun. I I loved the people on iCarly. They were, and Hannah Montana. Both both groups of people were really nice and fun to work with. But iCarly, I just kept in touch with uh, more of, the, the folks on that show. Mm. So that's the thing too, though, about like, and I'm just thinking about growing up in this time as well. Like, like you were very much a part of that, that time, like, and, and, but all of us have, have grown up and it's cool to sort of be reintroduced to like Indie Archuleta, like the, the, I don't mean to just do Indie Archuleta, but there we go. <laughs> um, similarly, like to, you know, Angie going into Zealand, like, you know, mm. there, are, I'm sure you've get messages about people being like, well, I miss this, I miss that, I miss whatever. But like, I'm sure there have been, you know, plenty more people who have come aboard and are excited about the new stuff and, and like have sort of kept that like, you know, fire, fire going. Fire. Um, 
<laughs> we have um, a, a Patreon, and one of our subscribers wanted to ask a question. His name is Alan C. Okay. And he, he wanted to know how, over the last 10 years, how the process for writing songs for you has shifted, you know, what you've learned over over the last couple of years, and if there are anything that you still do the same as you did back then, and things that you do very differently. Man, I feel like there I have no structure to how I live my life, period. And, and that includes <laughs> songwriting and music making. I just have no structure. And so what I found that really helps me is when I write, I mean, I've, I still write it's very rare when I write a song just completely by myself now. I actually did it more in high school than I do now. I don't know why, but it's just how it is. And uh, I usually like to write with two other people. The reason why is because I love, I like the chemistry when there are three people. Yeah, we usually have a third, like almost almost always. Yeah. So what, like, what is your reason behind having a third person? I think, I mean, we, because we started just writing together. Yeah. Uh, I think a third person, we were, we were actually talking about this yesterday. Uh, a third person kind of keeps the energy going between us. Yes. Like it yeah. inspires us to like, you know, it's never just like two people trying to keep this ball in the air. It's like, if we need to lean on somebody else, all parties can lean on each other. And it doesn't sort of put the burden on one person. Yes. It never puts it on one person. It kind of keeps this like constant flow so that like, one, if you're all stuck, then you're all stuck together. But usually one person will be able to come and like keep the ball rolling. And it never, yeah, I, I feel like it just kind of keeps that flow. Yeah, three and four is like the sweet spot. Yes. I feel like five and six gets a bit nutso. Yeah, um, too many guys. But I mean, we've written plenty, the two of us, because we, yeah. we we've been roommates for five years. But having all, a, yeah, yeah. It's what are your thoughts? On I, it? I, I yeah. think I think a third person adds like a kind of balance to to everything because when it's just when you're writing by yourself, you're you can be your own worst enemy. Like it's just you and the and the empty page and trying to figure out like precisely what you want to say and you have no help. Yes. When it's you and another person, like if you disagree on something, then there's no winning that because it's just a back and forth yes. between two people. When you have three people, there's like that's when you really start to get a sense of like communal writing, like everyone putting together this song. Uh, like as a unit, right? Versus like an individual journey. Oh my, yeah. Yeah, where are you at? Where you where are you at? I need that? to save that. I need to save what you said because you <laughs> described it perfectly. No, that yeah, you nailed it on the head. Why? Why? Why three for you? I mean, you you said exactly like perfectly the words how it <laughs> that amen amen to what you said. So, <laughs> was that a recent discovery or you know from the jump? Did like what from the independent jump? Did you start working as like in a sort of trio unit? It was it was something I picked up on that the rights were yeah just from trial and error just mm. because you know that I was getting put into rooms twelve years ago I was always terrified oh my gosh I was so scared <laughs> the first rights I was I didn't even participate I was so scared I didn't but you know, That's I, normal, I eased I eased my way. And actually, it was in Nashville when I started writing in Nashville with this amazingly talented woman named Joy Williams. She introduced me to a lot of the writers she worked with. And um, wait, is if if I'm not if I might be wrong about this, but is Joy Williams is she, was she part of the the Civil War? She was. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the, the Joy Williams I'm thinking of. She's incredible. I love <laughs> she her. Is. Oh, she's so good. <laughs> so I did a. Uh, 
on my sophomore album, I met her and I worked with her and she's just amazing. And, you know, it was fun because when I was working with her, then she was like, hey, yeah, I just, like she had just recently like gone on a writing trip and met this guy named John Paul. (laughs) And so he was showing me some of the stuff they were working on. I'm like, wow, (laughs) this is cool, Joy. I'm like, it was a little different from (laughs) from what she was doing before then. But man, then when I... Like they didn't really take off until I had left for Chile. And I didn't, I had no idea she won Grammys and stuff until I got back. And I like, <laughs> was on so a phone funny. call and she was like, yeah, she's like, you know, I won two Grammys. I'm like, what? <laughs> this is crazy. But um, do you guys still keep in touch too? I do. Yeah. That's I love awesome. me some joy. She really is a joy <laughs> in my life. She's, she, you know, it, she helped me learn because to be honest, the creative process wasn't enjoyable to me while I was signed to Sony. I, I, I enjoyed working. I enjoyed doing the performances and appearances and stuff. But the creative side, it just made me feel like it was really mechanical. Joy mm-hmm. introduced me to creating process that was freeing. Like I could be myself. She showed mm-hmm. me that I could put David into my music. And not just what I think people want and want to see of David Archuleta. So she really connected me to just, she brought myself back to me. Bridging the gap between you and David Archuleta. Yeah. Yeah. And because there was David Archuleta, like there's David, there's David Archuleta on American Idol, who is known for like singing certain like covers and stuff. Then there's David Archuleta from Sony with Crush. And... Mm like trying to push me in that pop world, urban, like urban pop is what, and then she helped, yeah, she helped me realize, hey, instead of worrying about what people think of American Idol David Archuleta, instead of what if worrying about what people think of Crush David Archuleta, let's find David and let's, let's mm. let him come forward and express himself. It was so empowering. It was so freeing. And I was like, no one had given me that chance to do that yet, up to that point. So I, it, it completely changed. That's why I live in Nashville now, because it's where I felt like I could find who David, identify who David is now. And, you know, a song I released last year, I did in Nashville. Then the song I released, the first song I released in 2020 is called, okay, all right, I did in LA with... Yeah, a guy named Chantry Johnson, who I love as well, and he's <laughs> he and I connect because we both love Legend of Zelda and Nintendo Switch. Well, I'm pausing you right there. Huge Legend of Zelda fan. First song I ever learned on the piano was the Song of Storms. Oh, um, and it's fu- and it's funny. I almost wore my Zelda shirt because it's like one of my lounging shirts. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to necessarily like be full nerd on this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, when it, um, are, are, you a, are you a Link main on Smash Bros? Yes, I, I am actually. <laughs> I, he's one of my mains because I love, I used to main with Bowser, but wow. I've become, I've become more of a Link just because I love that he can use a lot of the projectiles. And so I also love the uh, the trigger the trigger bombs uh, in the in ultimate like yeah. that's always fun for like crowd control and whatnot. I don't mean to like pause, but I appreciate that. Though um, what I love about what you said about Joy is that for like what she inspired in you on like an individual relationship, I feel like the Civil War is inspired for so many young artists at the time. Like I feel so, so many people listening to the Civil Wars 
ha- let that be their permission to be authentic with their music, like to really sort of put their own emotion and their sort of organic sounds and authenticity into their writing and into their songs. So, you know, one-to-one joy, like inspired that from David Archuleta, but like broadly the Civil Wars, I think also inspired that in like, you know, a generation of songwriters, which is really, really cool that like, I don't know, I was, I was thinking about that when you, uh, when you said it. That's cool. That um, gives me goosebumps. That's, that's cool. <laughs> I really like Just Breathe. Um, one of the things Thank that you. really struck me about it is uh, I, I love how um, the pre-chorus almost like harmonically anticipates this like minor fall in the chorus. And instead you kind of push it like into this minimal, almost minimal major place on the actual hook line, which is so cool. Like it, it goes like, you know, when you sing Just Breathe, it actually is this like uplifting thing that, that, like almost shifts expectations from where where you would think the pre pre was gone. Just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. That really floored me. What was that kind of like trio? like writing with. Well, thank you. I, wow. I, I'm, that's, it's cool that you uh, noticed those kinds of details as well. And so, um, our nerds, we're music yeah, nerds. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I guess I'm, I, I haven't really done interviews with other musicians. So thank you. Yeah. My, I wrote that with two of my friends here in Nashville named Nate Dodge and um, Isabel Miller. And I met Isabel a few years ago I feel like it was five years ago. I wrote with her on my first indie out, like official indie album, Postcards in the Sky. We wrote a song called Spotlight Down with her and her now husband. They were just dating mm. at the time, but now they're married. And another uh, musician named Cammy Nielsen. And after that, I just really hit it off with them and kept writing. I wrote a few other songs with Isabeau and Sean, uh, one called Up All Night and another called Shine a Light on that Postcards in the Sky album. And so when I started working on this next project, Therapy Sessions, I, I, I met my friend Nate Dodge, just random at church. That's the kind of place Tennessee, Nashville <laughs> is. Like you just, you can meet musicians. I guess LA might have areas like that too, but um, there's so many people in LA though. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But Nashville has this real communal vibe to it. So I was just at church and people were just like referring to him like, oh yeah, Nate, he's a musician. I'm like, oh, you're a musician. And I'm like, I'd love to hear some of what you do sometime. And it's like, sure. And I, I really liked what he did. So we wrote a song with, I brought in my friend Isabel and we wrote a song called Paralyzed. And that came out last summer. And then we did a follow-up with Just Breathe. And so Nate, he's he's really, I really like just the production a lot. The, uh, the production goes a lot to him. And like, I'll, I'll put in my word here and there. I'm like, hey, could we try this? How about this, these chords? How about this mood, this vibe? But he's, he's on the, he's taking the steering wheel. You know, he's at the, what is that called? The... The console, the the ones and zeros, the the yeah. the DAW, yeah. And so Isabel really helps me tell my story. I'm not the best with words. I really struggle expressing myself, especially concisely. 
So what I love about writing with Isabel is she's so great at, she knows what I want to say, even if I'm like hmm. having a hard time expressing it. Even, even to the point where she's like, she's like, wait, that's not what you want to say, is it? She's like, when, <laughs> when we were writing the first time, she just kind of looked up at me. We were writing one song, but she looked up and she's like, this isn't you, is it? I'm like, no, how did, I was like, I didn't even say anything. She's like, we need to write something like this instead. And she started playing something out. Like, I'm like, yeah, that is, that is definitely more, I don't know. It's just, she's, she's really into it. One of the things about a trio session is, you know, we often say like the three most important parts of any session is lyrics, melody, vibe. Like there's, you know, there's somebody who's vibing, somebody who's like getting the energy and the hype throughout the room, just getting everybody to emotionally feel broadly in the same place. Then there's great melody people. And then there's the lyrics people. I'm very intensely a lyric person. And so much of being a lyric person is like being able to gauge like what the story is and how much skin is kind of in the game from the artist, as well as like, okay, are we going for this line because it's the easy rhyme or are we going for this line because it actually, actually hits? So it's, it's nice like that. And again, having a trio lets there be that combination stronger but it is cool to have a lyricist in the room who can really be like okay this is what you're trying to say yes you know yes (laughs) i value you lyricists so much because i (laughs) i can't finish a song without y'all so i think i don't trust people who are like oh i don't really listen to the lyrics when i listen to uh, music i'm like that's my job please listen (laughs) (laughs) they do it's just it's subconscious it's a subconscious thing yeah what inspired the the concept then for just breathe and then broadly therapy sessions was that inspired by if you don't mind if you don't mind me asking was that inspired by therapy or by therapeutic experiences yeah it was inspired by my own therapy sessions that i was actually taking and and going through i love that we just started therapy this year and so it's oh, been nice. it's been really great yeah i love i love therapy you know i think like 10 years ago people looked at therapy as like oh this is something that people with issues and it's bad to have issues but i feel like coming up to speed to today within those 10 years it's almost like issues having issues you know julia michaels wrote a song about having issues you know people and who doesn't have issues people have really embraced it now and i think Social media culture has really changed that because you can be so honest. Well, I mean, you can still hide a lot of aspects of your life. You can post whatever you want people to see and (laughs) make them believe that's what your whole life is. But that's what was refreshing for me when I realized therapy was okay. Like, I didn't realize therapy was okay until I was in Chile. Like, on my mission, Mm. I had a mission president who, like, looked over all of what we were doing and stuff. And... He helped me realize like, hey, therapy might be a really good thing for you because the way I grew up was just, you ignored the issues. If there are problems, pretend they're not there. And like, if Mm. there are problems, well, then hide them because they shouldn't be there. But there wasn't really a way of coping with the issues or even the trauma that you were letting to build and blow up. So when I got back from Chile, is when I started going and meeting with a therapist. And it was so, well, therapeutic. It was, <laughs> it was, it helped me open up a lot more. Cause I was soup, I was like this. I felt like I was like in a shell for a lot of my life. And I just always tight. Well, not for nothing. You, you sort of had to be in some sense. It's like I imagine like being in like a sort of public eye does 
kind of encased you in a sense too, right? Yeah. It, I, yeah, it was probably a combination of just personal life and then American Idol and just being in, in all this stuff you don't know how to handle and you never fully learn how to handle it. I, I just remember like before I, I always had my shoulders up like this, which I didn't notice. Hmm. There was even like on American Idol, one of the guys, he was a choreographer. He'd always like try and push my shoulders back. Cause like your shoulders <laughs> are, oh, and it wasn't even while we were doing choreography. It was like, I was in the hallway and if he was walking by me, he would just push, he would always like keep your shoulders <laughs> down and keep, keep them back. But he's like, your shoulders are always up. I'm like, I didn't even notice that until he pushed them down that I didn't. And then I like through therapy, I realized it was just, it was an emotional reaction. I don't know. It was just all these crazy things I learned in therapy, but um, I feel like I've opened up a lot thanks to therapy. And I don't know, it's, it kind of, what I love about th- therapy, going to therapy is it's made me have to look at, look myself in the eye and look at the things that I find disappointing about myself. I, mm. you have to confront that. You have to be willing to become vulnerable. And I feel like people thought a lot of times like, yeah, I'm a sensitive person, but it was really hard for me to be vulnerable as far as being okay with myself. Because there's a difference between being open and being vulnerable. I think mm-hmm. like there are plenty, like artists are really good at sharing, but not necessarily. Day one, my therapist was like, your ability to share is how you construct your narrative and your narrative is not the same as actually being vulnerable. If anything, it's the opposite. Yeah, yes, totally. Because people think <laughs> like, oh, you're so open though. Like you're so vulnerable. I'm like, I'm being very open about this while I have a very huge guard up that other, mm. I guess people don't notice. Mm. Like I feel it, but they're just like, just yesterday, someone I was talking to like, wow, you're just, cause I was talking about how I have a lot of this challenge and they're like, you feel so open to me. And I, fe- I felt like there was a wall between us. I'm like, <laughs> I can talk about this stuff, but I, I'm not letting my guard down as I'm talking about it, which is interesting. Cause for, I guess for a lot of people in order to talk about that kind of stuff, they need to let their guard down. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I've learned how to like just throw this stuff over the wall <laughs> and keep the wall up so it looks like I'm very vulnerable. But it's like, no, I've got a fort built around me because I'm guarded and I want to protect myself. But therapy, you know, I haven't gone in a while, but when I go, it it taught me that it's okay to experience that disappointment openly and expose it and have to sit in it for a while. And it, it teaches me how to be vulnerable. And I, I, I love that aspect. The things I don't like about myself, you know, what I loved about doing this album therapy sessions was I was able to express that. I was able to talk about the things I don't like about myself and how I'm trying to still live my life, caring and simply being someone that there are a lot of things I don't like about. I've, there's there's a song by Image and Heap on her Ellipse album called Bad Body Double. That's what I think about. Yes. And she's just like <laughs> looking in, the, it's about how she's looking in the mirror and all the things she hates about what she's seen about her, like things she doesn't like about herself. That's, but 
there's something real thera- therapeutic about being honest about that. Cause like, well, I think it's almost nice to have like discover things that you don't like about yourself and actually put words to it because now the gauntlet's been thrown. Like now, now that you know the thing that you keep sort of pushing up against and the thing that you keep experiencing and the patterns that you keep having in your relationships or with yourself, now you suddenly have something to do. Now you suddenly have homework. You know, I, mm-hmm. I like I, I don't think we necessarily shy away from homework. I think the harder part and what has made therapy sort of so interesting has been suddenly having like homework to do. Um, I'm curious your thoughts because mm. yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like I like what you said about the you know appearing to be vulnerable by like lobbing stuff over a wall. That's definitely something that I've run up against and you know struggles of being open. But therapy's def yeah, therapy's definitely helped me be more honest with myself. I, I feel like Noah and I are different sides of the same coin. Where like I talk nonstop in order to put as much space between like how I actually am doing. Like I feel like the more I talk about a problem, the less real it feels to me because I can just keep sort of creating the narrative and structuring the narrative and like push it. Whereas like I feel yeah, I just I just avoid the <laughs> I just pretend, I just pretend I just pretend it doesn't exist and, and completely distance myself from it. Uh-huh. We, we are we are we are equally loud in very in in very different volumes, I think, so to speak. I, and I love that this record can be this sort of this way of expressing that. And, and also having this transparency gives everybody else permission to have that transparency. I feel the more you can talk about like the benefits of therapy, the more, like you, you said, Julia Michaels talks about issues and so it's okay for us to have issues. Well, people can say, well, David Archuleta has a record about going to therapy. So it's okay to go to therapy, mm-hmm. you know? Whether we realize it or not, we give each other permission to like, I don't know, get, get better almost, you know? Right. <laughs> That, that is my goal. That's what I'm hoping that, like, I guess my goal with therapy sessions is that people can say, hey, like, j- just from me being, sharing and writing about my experience of not liking myself, uh, or at least a lot mm-hmm. of things, ab- a lot of things about myself. What's interesting is like, it's, it's okay to not like a lot of things about myself, but still f- go through life having joy and being happy, which before I thought, well, I can't experience happiness if there's so many things I'm disappointed about with myself and how I'm living my life that I don't even know how to change about myself. Like I'm, I want to change so bad. I've tried and I keep failing. I must not be able to be happy then, but I've learned through therapy. I've learned how to look at my imperfections and my flaws at a different point of view with a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And that I can simply just by talking about it and having someone else look at it and say, actually, that it's okay that I don't have to fully like myself to still be happy and, and, and value myself. I can value myself and appreciate myself, learn to love myself. And I've learned that by being, I don't know, just... Well, we, we have such a focus on being happy and being like perfect. But I think the actual thing is actually being able to be comfortable not being happy all the time. Yes. And being comfortable in... I had somebody say like, oh, you want to grow up so badly. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Because part of me, like the idea of like growing up is just slowly... Like I have a, a very long list of things that I don't like about myself. And I don't uh, see my goal in life to like delete that list. I see my goal in life is just to make it slightly shorter. Um, 
or to take things on that list and just put it on the things that I like, like actually making, you know, I used to be very self-conscious about talking a lot. Mm. I used to be very self-conscious about a whole lot of things that now I actually feel are strengths. That's what the homework is, I feel. Mm. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I, 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 appreci- I appreciate that. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for you. Like I, I, I'm going to, my, my sort of wrap up question is like, what are you looking forward to? But I'm saying I'm looking forward <laughs> to hearing these songs and, and being inspired by them, you know? Well, thanks. I, yeah, there's, you know, there's a song that I wrote on the album called Good and the Bad. And it was kind of that where it's like, you don't have to wish the bad to go away, which I think I did for a long time. I would like be like, man, I just want this part of myself to leave, to go away. I wish I had more confidence. I wish that I was better at talking, connecting to people. I wish I was better at taking risks. I, I wish I didn't push people away so often. I wish I didn't enjoy being alone as much as I do so that I can have relationships <laughs> better. I wish, like, all these things. I wish I had done this. I wish I'd done it. I wish my voice didn't wasn't so annoying or, I don't know, just... Whatever thing, however small or big it could be. We're, I think we're laughing at the ones that resonate the most with us. Like I, I hear Noah like laughing and I'm laughing. So I'm like, yeah, like because everybody feels this. Like there are things that we all like can't really stomach about ourselves, but that people like, you yeah. know? So this song, Good and the Bad, it's like I'm learning that even in the bad things, there's good, there's good to be found there. And so mm. that's my goal with this project. We're getting through this pandemic. We're getting through our own thoughts and anxieties and emotions that we have towards ourselves or whatever scenario we're in. And it's really easy to be worried and stressed out about the things that are wrong and the things that are bad. But it's like, you know what, take a moment and say, there's, there's still good in those bad things or in in those flaws in those imperfections about yourself. And so just give yourself a break. So that's my goal is Hmm. to give people that opportunity to look at themselves differently. The way I've been able to look at myself differently, thanks to my own therapy sessions. I love that. And I think that that's what people are going to take away away from it. So we're excited to hear it. And, and it's really nice to meet you. Like it's yeah. nice to like get to know you, even if it's over Skype. And even if maybe we're all lobbing stuff over the wall, you know, <laughs> at, at least we're, we're, we're picking at the bricks, you know, one, one brick at a time. So um, I, I look forward to maybe talking again in the future. And, oh, for and sure. thank you for, for doing this, man. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I love talking to y'all. Thanks, man. Well, thank you. When it all stops being, when it all slowed down, I was swimming deep, but I didn't drown. In a little silence, in a little peace, took a little time to find a piece of me. Just breathe. We would like to thank Alan C. for supporting Talking Lion on Patreon and Isotope.